2: Hello, welcome to 30 and a Bit. Each episode, I try to solve one of the questions you run into after hitting the big 3 0 together with an expert. Today's question is How can I not feel so damn overwhelmed all the time and learn to say no? I had the best time speaking with Vanessa. I think she's a perfect combination of spiritual, but also with both feet on the ground, which I can really appreciate and relate to. Vanessa explains to us why we feel so overwhelmed and why it happens to women more than men. She encourages us to quiet the noise and sometimes just let things be and take a break if you need it. That dirty kitchen will still be there when you feel a lot better and a lot less overwhelmed after taking a break. Also, how do we say no without feeling guilty? Vanessa gives us great suggestions. Let's dive in. let's start with the facts and figures of today. The average American feels most stressed at 36 years old. The most popular forms of alleviating stress today includes listening to music 46%, exercise 40%, and watching movies or television 28%. Stress most often includes sleep problems, headaches, food cravings, and brain fog. 75% of Americans experienced moderate to high stress levels in the past month. 91% of Australians are feeling stressed about one or more important parts of their lives. Two short notices before we really dive in. One, I am based in Amsterdam and my guests are all over the world, so please be patient as we're trying to figure out the world of long-distance interviews. And secondly, please, please, please leave a five-star review on Spotify and Apple. They really, really help with growing this podcast and getting it to a bigger audience and helping more. Today's incredible expert is Vanessa Loader. Vanessa is a women's leadership and mindfulness expert and a renowned keynote speaker and a leadership developer facilitator. You do a lot. She received her MBA from Stanford University and her BA in economics from Columbia University. Vanessa felt that she had climbed to the top of the ladder of Wall Street and Silicon Valley only to realize that it was the wrong ladder. Vanessa wrote, the Soul Solution book is 44 years old and currently lives in California with her husband and two children. Welcome, I'm so excited you're here. I'm
1: so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
2: Of course. The very first question I ask all of my experts is how were your 30s?
1: (laughs) Oh, they were very full in all the best ways. Um, I mean, I had a major career transition i built my business and i had two kids in my 30s so it was it was a big big decade for both work and family
2: what age were you when you figured out you were climbing the
1: wrong ladder that's a good question i was it was right around
2: 30 (laughs) yeah there you go big shift
1: Yeah, about well, it was about 12 years ago. So maybe I was 32. So it was the beginning of my 30s. And actually, one of my mentors, Ainsley McLeod, who wrote this really beautiful book called The Instruction, it's all about how we have a soul age and a soul type and a soul purpose. And he he said to me, and because I had a call with him when I was going through my own transition crisis in my 30s. And he said, you know, a lot of women starting in the early to mid 30s is when their soul really starts to push through. And sort of say, if you're not living aligned with your soul, like it starts to feel like more of a rub. The early to mid thirties is the earliest that happens. And he said, for a lot of men, it starts in the early to mid forties. And I thought that was
2: really interesting. Yeah, that's really funny. Cause this actually resonates with me as well. Cause I'm 32 now. So I've started this concept in Dutch before. Um, and now I'm doing it in English and it happened when I was 31. So yeah, I fall in this bracket too, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was certainly the case for me where it was like my soul voice got louder and louder starting around 30, 31, 32. And then my actions started to reflect that. And I made big life changes in the years following it. So my thirties were a
2: massive period of growth. Totally. And, um, you made these changes while you were having kids as well, when you had your, both, both your kids. No. So I did
1: not yet have children yet when I had my whole awakening and I realized, so my whole life, I've been following this formula for success that was like, get good grades, go to good school, get a good job, all the things. And like you said, it was like, I climbed to the top of the ladder and went ah, wrong ladder. And so I had this realization in my thirties, in my early thirties, I got to a point in my career where I was you know, making plenty of money on the board of a company I loved on track to be a partner at this great firm. Like everything on paper looked really good. I checked all the boxes. I got married. I fell in love, all those things, getting ready to have kids. And yet inside, I just felt like some deeper meaning or purpose was missing from my life. And I also felt like, I was always racing on to the next thing. And I would lie in bed at night with my mind running, like thinking of all the things I didn't get done that day, all the stuff I had to do the next day, you know? And I had this moment of like, this is success. This feeling that it's never good enough. The bar just keeps going higher. And I feel like I'm meant for more, but I don't know what that is. And that led to a lot of soul searching in my thirties, frankly. And I got really into mindfulness and meditation i trained in neuro linguistic programming which is a way to rewire your neurology and kind of change your habitual responses in your brain Um, got trained in hypnosis and past life regression healing i mean all kinds of things and i had a whole spiritual awakening and that all happened before i had kids and then i ended up realizing what i wanted to do was quit my job in finance and dedicate my life to bringing these tools to other people particularly to women. And I remember I was running my very first high-end group coaching program and retreat for women who wanted to find work that they loved. And I was pregnant with my daughter, my first child at that retreat. So yeah, I, I was just starting the new business
2: when I had my first child. Your thirties were big, like big changes. Yes. Very big. You are catching me at a particular tricky time of my life as well. Apart from launching this podcast, I'm in the final stretch of uh, organizing my wedding, planning my wedding. Congratulations. Thank you. By the time this comes out, I would have been uh, officially married and the party is coming up. So, oh my gosh, so being sad. overwhelmed is exactly how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Wedding planning you is. You know a- what it feels like.
1: You know, it's, it feels very unfair as a bride and a groom because you're basically stepping into the role of event planner for like the biggest event of your life, having no experience in event planning with all these vendors who don't, they care about you, they do, but like at the same time, you're a one-time deal to them. It's not like they have an ongoing relationship with you, you know, and you're trying to figure it all out and now, and then there's the family drama and all the it Stuff comes out of the woodwork emotionally and with family when you're planning a wedding. And actually, it's interesting, Pete, because I got into breathing techniques during wedding planning before I ever started meditating, because my coach at the time, my mom had stopped speaking to me during the wedding planning. It was one of the hard, it was like a really hard period. And my coach turned to me and she goes, you're so stressed out about everything that's going on with the wedding that you either need to go on medication or you need to start doing deep breathing exercises. And I remember oh, being like, oh, she thinks this is really serious that she thinks I need medication. And then I, my second thought was we, and she thinks breathing is like the equivalent of medication. So then I thought, all right, well, I'd rather not go on medication. So let me try this breathing stuff. And she had me every night, lie in bed on my back with like a book on my belly Doing kind of a version of box breathing, which I now teach people where you you know you inhale deeply, you hold it, and then you like inhale for let's say four, hold for four, and then exhale for six, you know, hold. Or you can do four, 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 four. Inhale, four, hold, four. Anyway, I started doing that. (laughs) Okay. Within two (laughs) weeks, like seriously, I was like, I'll try this for two weeks. And if this whole breathing thing doesn't help, then I'll go on medication. And within two
2: weeks, my anxiety was a lot lower with the wedding. So that was my experience. Okay, well, there you go. And to our listeners, tip number one, here we go. Box breathing with a book on your on your stomach already helps. I love that. Um, I'm very curious to hear. So you have different programs, just like what you mentioned uh, earlier, that you offer to women. Uh, what kind of women do you see? So I see a lot of, there's a couple
1: different groups. One group is um, they've been on a more traditional track for most of their lives. Maybe they have a corporate job or they've been very successful and they're feeling really burned out and overwhelmed and they want to find another way of doing it. Maybe they want to stay in their job, but they just want it to be more sustainable. Some of them want to leave their job, but they don't really know what they want next. And then the other group that I that I work with a lot is um, they might more self-identify as spiritual or maybe just as seekers, Like they they do a lot of programs and they're really interested in their personal growth and development, and they are wanting to tap into some of these other intuitive abilities and they're wanting to deepen into their spiritual practices. So those are probably the two main groups. But it's mostly women who are
2: burned out and overwhelmed and feel like, in their bones, they're meant for more. So women today feel a lot of pressure in succeeding in all aspects in their lives. And it causes so many of them to feel overwhelmed like the women you see, and it can result into being burned out even. Why do you think we do this to ourselves?
1: Well, there's a lot of reasons. And, you know, I think the most important thing for women is to not beat ourselves up and be like, one more thing that I'm not doing right. There's Essentially, there's a lot of cultural conditioning that women get around what it means to be, and men too, around what it means to be a good worker. And then for women, what does it mean to be a good wife or a good daughter or a good friend? And a lot of women that I coach, they're kind of stuck where the, we want like equality at work. And yet a lot of women are still doing more than their fair share at home. You know, the second shift is very real. And so they're trying to juggle all these competing demands scheduling like the kids birthday party then rushing off to a work meeting and and it's a little bit crazy making it's a lot it's a lot crazy making so essentially we've internalized all this external pressure that our culture tells us about how we should be and then we we basically create these perfect pictures in our minds of what it means to be a good worker a good mom or a good wife
2: and then we beat ourselves up when we don't match those perfect pictures I had the funniest conversation with my sister-in-law today. She just had a baby, her second baby, a week and a half ago. And she the day before she gave birth, she was creating little treats for her son to give out when he turned two yesterday.
1: Aww. And
2: she was just like gluing stuff, paper, like, and it looked adorable. But I literally said to her today, it's like, who do you do this for your kids to? He won't remember this at all. The kids in school probably also like, they like snacks, but whatever. Who, who's this for exactly what you're doing? She was kind of like, I think I might stop until he turns five or six and he can remember it and then I'll turn it into something cool.
1: Yeah, I love that you helped pause and ask that question because I think as women, we sometimes we default to do these things that we feel like we should do. And then you peel back the layers on where did this even come from? Like, why do I think I should be making these elaborate treats for my kids birth. Oh, cause maybe I saw pictures on Instagram and it looked so cute. And it's like, well, everyone's doing that. Or, you know, one of the stories I talk about in the book is when I had my, I think it was my first child, I put all this pressure on myself to lose the baby weight in four months. And I would, that was not happening <laughs> for me. And I realized, well, I, I created this arbitrary goal, this standard for myself. Like, where did that even, no one ever sat me down and said, you have to lose the baby weight in four months. But it was inferred all over the place in all the magazines. It's like, look at Giselle on the beach after having her baby. And, you know, so we internalize all this stuff and then we go crazy. Uh, Just noticing when we're putting that pressure on ourselves, like you did with your sister-in-law. That's so beautiful. Helping her reframe like your son's not even going to. He doesn't even know that you're doing this. He's two. And then she's like, yeah, wait, who am I doing this for?
2: Do you hear this a lot from our clients as well, that a lot of people feel pressure from social media because they see things there?
1: Yes. Yeah. And I think also what happens is it's so unconscious, the whole process. So we, we see the pictures and sometimes we go into compare despair and we feel really bad and we know that it's making us feel bad. But a lot of the times, actually it's very insidious and subconscious where we scroll through. And then those messages, those, those images, like they implant in our subconscious mind. And then next time we're planning our two-year-old's birthday party, we suddenly have this vision of how we should make these elaborate snacks and we and we're exhausted but we're making ourselves do it and we haven't even unwound the whole picture of wait what am i doing you know and so so many women i coach they have this moment this epiphany of empowerment where they go oh i'm the one who painted myself into that corner i'm the one who decided i had to make partner at my law firm by a certain age and be a size 2 and have an amazing boyfriend like i'm the one who set these unattainable standards for myself therefore I'm the only one who can change them. And that's actually a really empowering moment when we realize that.
2: I remember reading this, what you just um, spoke about, about like reading about people losing their baby weight within a couple months and it not happening for you. And it is so funny that yes, we have all of these things happening around us and we pick up on them, but then we also just put them on ourselves but we do that ourselves like other people can write the articles can create the content on the instagram but we then want to identify with it and that's probably a little step that we need to we need to break free from that
1: yes we do I mean, we need new narratives, you know? We need new examples and new stories. I mean, look, I went on a run after having my daughter, I still remember this, in Fort Mason. I would run along Chrissy Field in San Francisco. And then I was stretching in Fort Mason and this man came up to me and he's like, oh, when are you due? And I was like, (gasps) I already had the baby. And then it got really uncomfortable because he was like, oh, it must be like, how old is the baby? And then I was like,
2: two years old. (laughs) Oh no, just digging cuz i just and you know i had a
1: little belly right like i'm i'm a skinny person but i had I, like my my stomach must, did not go back to its flat usual self and that was you know but just sharing stories like that where it's my sister too who didn't have kids came to visit and was like oh now i understand why you never ask a woman why she's pregnant cuz like you can
2: look pregnant for a long time sometimes after you give birth <laughs> i've congratulated a woman once who wasn't pregnant let me tell you that only happens once in your life if you only make that mistake once because it is so embarrassing not just for the woman but also for yourself oh it's the worst
1: it took me like eight years to get my body back if that if anybody wants to reframe the bar it was about eight years there you go
2: there (laughs) you go new narrative new narrative (laughs) um do you feel like feeling overwhelmed happens more with women in big jobs, like the corporate jobs that you see or can, or big families to run, or can it really happen to anyone?
1: I see it happening to everyone. Sadly, it's, you know, I, I have moms who are full-time moms in the home, stay-at-home moms. And I have moms who have big careers and I have uh, women who don't yet have kids. Uh, I, and it's, it's across the board. I even was giving a talk in Utah to a big group of women who most of whom had left the Mormon church and they had been told their version of like the treadmill or the, la- you know, the ladder was like, get married young and have lots of kids and da da da, And they were shocked to hear that women in corporate America felt similarly to them. They thought just like the resentment and the overwhelm and the like, oh, I'm, I'm doing what society said I should do, but I'm not that satisfied or happy that it was the same for them as for women in corporate America very different circumstances and about different things but that feeling of wait a minute is this the life that i even really want or did i just follow this prescribed path you know it was completely different get married young have kids work your your job is in the home you're the homemaker but a very similar epiphany so I thought that was really interesting that I've seen it across so many different contexts. It's more what it is, is that we just lose ourselves in whatever environment we're in. You know, we, we do what the adults around us tell us is quote unquote successful. And, and that's how we get really burned out and overwhelmed because we're not even aligned with what intrinsically maybe is how we want to be spending our time.
0: Yeah, you get it every time.
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any
0: other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: What happens in our brain when we feel very overwhelmed or burned out? Oh yeah. Well, often
1: um, there's lots of different signs of burnout and lots of research that's been done on it. So including like feelings of cynicism and um, disillusionment. So there's a story about a teacher recently where she just, a kid needed her to sign some dental paperwork and she was to have, cause he had to have a lot of work done. And she was annoyed about the amount of paperwork rather than feeling empathetic for the kid. And normally she's very empathetic. So you might notice in your brain, like you start to get Cynical and resentful and cranky. Um, a lot of people are currently in a system of like elevated fight or flight. So their sympathetic nervous system is on overdrive, meaning you're like go, 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 rushing all around. So there's a lot of adrenaline and cortisol being released in your body versus the parasympathetic nervous system is when you have that very calm relaxed feeling and we're meant to oscillate between the two but most people in today's day and age they just stay at the heightened levels of sympathetic nervous system overdrive so how that feels in the brain is like you're kind of you're you're like disorganized you're frantic you're you got adrenaline coursing through your body and you can't focus your mind is very
2: scattered like that is it correct to say that feeling overwhelmed might be like an early stage of burnout? Because at least with me, it goes in waves as well, where I feel like if you're burned out, it's like a constant state.
1: Mm, yeah, I think that's a great way to articulate it. Often overwhelm is like a warning sign, uh, you know, that and if you don't do something to adjust, then you're kind of moving more into more long term burnout. Yeah.
2: I think one of the reasons um, women get burnt out as well as we feel like we don't get the support we need and we have to do all of it ourselves, like the second shift that you just mentioned. Why do we feel like that as women? First, is it granted? And secondly, why do we feel like that and why don't we change it?
1: Well, it's not just on us to change. It's We live in patriarchy and in a misogynistic culture. And so it's very real that women are actually doing more. <laughs> We're not just like harping on people for no reason. The research shows that women do more housework and caregiving than men, and period, full stop. And the really crazy thing is the more senior women get in careers, it doesn't go away. They actually do even more. Some people think maybe they're psychologically trying to compensate. Another crazy statistic is really senior corporate women have very few of them have a stay-at-home partner compared to very senior corporate men. So a lot of men in big careers, they have someone managing the household and the children versus a woman in a big career is more likely to be married to a man who also has a big career. So they're just trying to juggle it all. So there's a lot that's, it's very important to understand the facts and the research because this is not like women can't handle it or they're just being negative. Um, You know, I'm I'm a big fan of Eve Rodsky's book, Fair Play, as a way to try to get your partner on board to being more equitable with how you share household duties. I'm a feminist. I like thought I would never marry someone who wouldn't do half the work. My husband would have said the same. And we were always 50-50. And then when we had kids, it totally changed. And I defaulted into doing so much more. And then over the years, I became more and more resentful and I would ask for help, but it wouldn't always be volunteered, you know? And the other thing is that I've learned is I would emasculate him. I would criticize him. I would control him to try to get him to help out. And none of those strategies were effective (laughs) shocker. (laughs) So I also had to learn how to have these conversations with him where I wasn't just bringing all my anger and resentment and my controlling criticism to the front, you know, to the fore, where he could feel like we're going to really be equal partners in this. So there was learnings for both of
2: us. When you're feeling overwhelmed and you're moving towards a burnout, like how do you know when that shift is happening?
1: Yeah. Part of it is just self-observation. So just starting to pay attention to your own warning signs. What are your red flags? What are your yellow flags? So for me, what I've noticed is when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I start barking orders at my husband. I'll be like, Can you take mm-hmm. out the trash? And can you do this? And can you do that? And can you do that? And that for me, I used to just think, Well, that because I need him to do that stuff. But actually, that's my red flag that I'm falling into overwhelm. And what I started realizing is if we're in the kitchen, let's say, and we've made dinner and we're cleaning up, and I'm like, Can you wash that pan? Or can you do half the time, I don't even need him to do that thing. What I need is to go lie
2: down on the couch and stop cleaning. <laughs> like, that's actually what I need. This sounds so familiar. I think my partner would also say I bark at him. <laughs> yeah. So usually
1: when I'm barking at my husband, it's because I'm tired and I'm cranky. And I'm, I think that him helping me is the solution, which sometimes I, yes, sure. But actually what I need even more than that is to stop all the cleanup myself and go lie down. And the times when I've done that, I go lie down on the couch I don't say a word to him. And then usually either he finishes the cleanup or I rest and then later we go finish it together, you know, versus me barking. In peace. At him. In peace.
2: There is often a lot of guilt with just putting your work down or putting, especially, household tasks down and hearing that voice, that ego being like, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. How do we block that out?
1: Okay. So, my new thing with this is that rest and pleasure are feminist acts because we have been conditioned as women to believe that we don't deserve to rest, or take care of ourselves. We take care of everyone else except for ourselves. And we've been conditioned to believe that our pleasure is not a priority. And I don't mean just like sexual pleasure, any kind of pleasure. It could be, I'm gonna make myself a nice cup of tea and sit on the couch with a good book. And I'm just gonna do that. I do that sometimes in the middle of a work day for like just 30 minutes. And it feels so naughty and like indulgent, which is funny because it's not that, but it does because it's like during work hours and I always feel so recharged afterwards. And it's so hard for me to give myself permission to do that, that it's ludicrous. And so you I'm even looking at these... an
2: example in your book of a guy yeah. who had to wait 45 minutes to pick up his kids. And the wife was like, what did you do in the 45 minutes? He said, I went to a bar, I had a beer. And she's like, what? There We would do so many other things in 45 minutes. We'd go to a grocery store, pick up something at the drugstore, like you name it, we'd do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think as women, we need to recognize this tendency we have to do it all and to take care of everyone. And we have to deprogram ourselves from that intentionally. And it is hard and uncomfortable to sit down and lie on the couch when there's dirty dishes in the sink. And, you know, one of the things I said in the book, I've just found this to be true. It's like not scratching an itch. Like when you go rest and you haven't finished your work or the the kitchen is a mess and it's going to be uncomfortable. But that's the only way through it is we have to start giving ourselves permission to rest and to relax because you know what? It never
2: all gets done. It's never going to all get done. That's true. That's true. In your book, you write about quieting the noise. Can you tell us what it is and how we do it?
1: Sure. So a lot of my book is about learning how to like tune into the whispers of your soul and what I call your energetic breadcrumbs. And what I found was... That the ego is this constant loud voice in our heads, always talking at us throughout the day. And if we want to tune into our soul and create a more soul-centric life, we do have to quiet the noise of that ego in order to really tune into our deeper wisdom, which is always available, but it just gets masked or muted by that louder voice. And so one of the best ways to do that is through meditation. I'm a big fan of meditation. I have like a free 30-day meditation challenge on my website. It's just five minutes a day. So if you've never meditated, you might prefer listening to some sort of a guided meditation because it can be nice to have a voice helping you quiet your mind. Um, But you could also, you know, go for a walk outside, you could do a like a moving meditation, you can focus on your five senses really tactily.
2: So there's lots of ways to
1: kind of quiet the noise.
2: At the start, I mentioned energetic breadcrumbs. Can you explain what they are and how we listen to them? Sure. So
1: your energetic breadcrumbs are those little moments when you feel really energized or curious or alive about something. It could be, you know, you want to take an art class or read a certain book or you're walking by an art gallery and you don't know why, but you feel called to go inside and then you bump into an old friend and have a whole deep conversation with all these serendipities. And the thing about our energetic breadcrumbs is we dismiss them. We tend to dismiss them as random or insignificant or trivial, but then all those breadcrumbs really do add up. It sort of is like that story with Hansel and Gretel in the forest where like the breadcrumbs lead you home. So your energetic breadcrumbs are one of the secret ingredients to living a more soul-centric life. They always lead you to your most joyful, satisfied life. And so when you start to notice them and track them and follow them, it's going to create more, more
2: joy and alignment for you. And how do we listen to it? Is it just a matter of being still or it can happen in any moment? it's just starting to pay attention. So one of the things I recommend in the book,
1: the soul solution in my book, is that you journal each night on what brought you energy today. Like when were you really energized or alive today? What were some of your energetic breadcrumbs? And just write a few sentences at night, maybe along with your gratitude journal or whatever else you do. And then over time, you might even see patterns. You might go, oh my gosh, three people mentioned that same book to me. Maybe I should read it. Or like, you know, one will come back and then you'll think, okay, maybe I should take action on that because that's the third time that I've written about this energetic breadcrumb. So you're just starting to pay attention to what helps you feel alive, what brings you energy and doing more of that.
2: And um, you mentioned the whispers of your soul earlier, which is a big piece of your book as well. Is that when you feel like you need to take a rest? Is that a whisper of your soul? Oh, I mean...
1: Sometimes if it's like a little nudge, the soul whispers are like these little nudges or impulses we get. So yeah, if you're driving your, you know, driving around rushing on an errand and you think, God, I just wish I could be at home taking a bath, that might be like a little soul whisper coming through that's like, oh yeah, I really want to take a bath with some Epsom salts. That sounds really good right now. So your soul whispers, it is, it's a way to kind of tune into your own intuition and, and deeper knowing. And then just go do it. And then, yeah, honor them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> honor yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> and honor them. Don't, you know, because the, the thing is your ego, your rational mind is going to want to come in and go, well, you don't have time for that. Or, well, why would you take an art class? You're not going to become an artist. You're not going to turn that into a career. So your mind will come in with all these rational arguments to negate your, your soul whispers. But if you want to live a really joyful, satisfying life, the key is to listen to your soul whispers and your energy and follow your energetic breadcrumbs.
2: Oh, I really got to learn to listen to that because, um, yesterday my partner and I were having a nap in the middle of the day and he was dead asleep next to me. We had a really busy weekend that was on a Sunday. Um, and all I could do is just think about everything I had to do and why was I in bed? Why was I not just doing stuff? <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't close. I didn't sleep for a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I, this is one of the stories in the book where there's a woman who was like, Vanessa, you told me to just lie on the couch for 10 minutes. And I did, but then all I was doing was making a list of all the things I was going to do when I got off the couch. And so just noticing how insane we've gotten in our own heads with our to-do list and really forcing yourself to slow down and savor something, some experience other than the to-dos.
2: And I even when he woke up, I was like, how did you sleep? We've got so much to do. But I guess, yeah, he had he had it right. He was doing the right thing. Well, I mean,
1: or like maybe you can't sleep and then you want to read a book or go on a walk or there's something else you want to do to recharge, you know, or sometimes you really do just want to go do the thing like so you just go do the work occasionally, but a lot of the times, yeah, it's it's about retraining our focus and giving ourselves just those, you know, those periods of rest in between.
2: Um, one way of making sure we get enough rest is by saying no. And I think with our generation, the people around me, that is incredibly hard because we feel like we're disappointing people all the time. We might feel some shame with canceling things last minute or whatever, like deprioritizing things. And I noticed especially now, I've actually already told my inner circle like over the next little while while I am finishing my podcast, uh planning this wedding and I signed up for a Half Iron Man with my partner, which I'm Oh wow. Still not sure that was a good idea. But all of that's <laughs> happening. So I'm like, guys, up until the wedding I'm gonna be pretty low-key because I my brain just cannot deal with also having social things at night. Yeah. So I think I'm practicing saying no a little bit, but why do we struggle with saying no in general and so many of us? I think a lot of it comes down to people pleasing and
1: not wanting to disappoint others, you know, not, want, not wanting to let them down. But I had a friend who gave me the best reframe because I was in a business partnership that wasn't going well that I kind of wanted to end. But I felt like this, I'm going to really betray this person. They're going to be so disappointed. And she turned to me and she said, Vanessa, if you betray yourself, you are betraying her and I was like oh. and so I like that reframe where if if you really don't want to do something and you make yourself do it you're betraying yourself and you actually are betraying those people too cuz you're lying cuz you don't want to be there <laughs> you
2: know and you're probably also not giving your best version of yourself
1: yeah Very true. And the other thing that I found to be true, and my clients come back and go, oh my God, that was so powerful. I couldn't believe you said it, but then it really was so powerful is that when you say no to what you don't want, it actually creates space for what you do want to come in. And so I think many of us, we say yes to things we don't really want. And then that takes our time, our space, our energy, and it actually blocks us from getting the things we really do want. And so a powerful no is really important because it does create that space for the the next thing you really do want to come through. I read some great quote the other day from another teacher, and I can't remember who, but it was something like, people don't come to me for answers. They come to me for permission. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so true. That's my experience as well. All the women who come to me for coaching, what they're really, really looking for is permission to trust themselves and what they already know. That's it. And so you already know when you really should be saying no to something. And sometimes we want permission from someone like, is it okay if I skip this thing? Is it okay if I don't do blah, blah, blah? Because we want to feel good about ourselves. We want to feel worthy. We want to feel like we're enough. So we want that permission from outside of us. But really, we can give that to ourselves. And it's a very empowering thing to do. We're wired for survival in our brains, you know, so we're wired to have people like us and approve of us and get along for safety and belonging and love and connection and all these things we really need. But if you have to abandon yourself to get safety and belonging and love, it's not going to work in the end. And, you know, I actually, Carol Robin, who's my favorite professor from Stanford Business School, she teaches this interpersonal dynamics class. She wrote a great book called Connect. And in the chapter in my book, one of the last chapters, I... I went to her because I was like, well, what about well, yeah, when you need to say no? I I'm, mean, I'm, here I am coaching women to say no, but then they are going to disappoint people. Sometimes people are not going to like it. So I got her advice and I put that in the book of like how to frame that and what to say. So that's all in the book. Um, but basically what she said was, yeah, when you change and grow, or if you've been a people pleaser your whole life, and then you decide you want to start saying no, people are going to be disappointed. That That is true. They will be disappointed. And it's okay. And learning how to navigate those conversations where you say to them, you still, you really matter to me and I love you. And I'm going to try this new way of doing things because I also really want to take care of me. And this might be hard for us at first. So let's talk about how we can move through this together. You can even try something like I taught Liz Vesterlund, who's a PhD, who's done a lot of research on, she found that women are asked to do more non-promotable tasks at work than men. And women are more likely to say yes when asked to do those tasks. And she recommends starting like a no club with your girlfriends where you'll be like, okay, together, we're going to like each say no to something this week or this month. And then you check in with each other. But you can even say that to your friends. Like I'm so I'm trying this new experiment where I'm gonna sometimes say no to things and I'm feeling really tired tonight. So I was thinking about saying no to our gathering, but I I also want you to know I love you and I care about you. And you know you can feel that you can like present it that way to soften it a little bit and to get,
2: to have more of a dialogue. It could be a really funny game with your yeah. female colleagues. <laughs> I like that. I think you're right is that you think self-compassion is the most underutilized muscle. Mm. How do we show ourselves
1: more compassion? Okay. So my best self-compassion hack, which is in the book, it's my favorite one. It's from Jen Sincero who wrote a book called You Are a Badass. So, you know, when you like say something in a meeting or with a friend, and you go, I can't believe I said that. And then you beat yourself up about it all day. Instead, what you do is you just go, I'm just a little bunny doing my best. <laughs> you say that to yourself. And what it does is it pops you into humor. And so you can't be in self-judgment or self-criticism and be in humor at the same time. And the first time I read that, I thought it sounded really silly, but then I started doing it and it works so well. I mean, I yelled at my kids in the car the other day and then I was like, I'm just a little bunny doing my best. Yeah, so anytime you notice that negative voice, you just say, I'm just a little, when you get like stressed out about wedding planning and you snap at your fiance and you're not your best self, afterward you just go, I'm just a little bunny
2: doing my best. I like that one. (laughs) You just mentioned your kids as well. And you talk about mommy timeouts. Tell us about that and how other moms listening can apply this.
1: Oh, well, it's so funny because, you know, they say you teach what you most need to learn. And that is certainly true for me. So everything in this book, I have not mastered any of it. I'm just obsessed with trying to learn all of it. So I was giving a talk to this one big company about mindful leadership. And this woman shared that, In her family, they came up with this technique, someone told them to do this, where you get a bell and you work with your kids and you decide like where to put the bell in the house. And then anytime someone in the family is getting like really upset or heated, anyone in the family at any moment can go ring the bell and everyone has to stop what they're doing and take three deep breaths and i i heard about this Mm. and i was like oh this is great i'm going to come into my family as this wise mindfulness teacher and teach them how to you know my husband's so unconscious and my children are wild and i'm going to teach them what this anyway so i introduced this idea to them and they loved it my son was four years old at the time and he got so excited he ran around we picked this one little side table to put the bell on we got we chose it was like it was actually this little bowl a sound bowl with a little you know thing you go like Like that. So we put this out, a little Tibetan sound bowl, a little miniature one, put it out on a little table by the couch and guess who got rung first? of Everyone in the family, (laughs) me. Within 30 minutes, I was in the kitchen and I got cranky cooking and snapped at somebody and my son looked at me. And he like ran to the bell and he dung it. And he stared right at me. <laughs> it was like, you need to calm down. He didn't say that, but that's what his look meant. And <laughs> I was like, oh. and I took my three deep breaths and then I calmed down. And so now it's evolved where we don't have the bell, but we have this tradition where when I get really upset, like I'm starting to yell at people or lash out at my husband or be short with the kids, I'll just go, okay, I need to go take a mommy timeout. And they know mommy's got to take a time out. And I walk down the hall to my bedroom and I usually don't even meditate. Honestly, I just go lie down. Sometimes I, sometimes I read a book. Sometimes I watch something stupid on my phone. It doesn't matter, but I'm disengaging from the environment and like taking some quiet time for myself.
2: I love this so much. I think it's very funny, especially your kids keeping you on your toes like that.
1: Yeah. Cause sometimes they'll be like, I think you need mommy. I think you need a timeout. And then, and usually the sad thing is they're pretty much always like, if they're saying that it's <laughs> they're right.
2: My final question, every episode is if you could give the listeners one takeaway from this episode, what would it be?
1: Hmm, I love that. Um, I think it would be to trust yourself and your heart, and your inner knowing. And the remembering I'm just a little bunny doing my best. That's my other like big takeaway.
2: Her book is at the top of my list. You are a badass. Vanessa, The Soul Solution is your book. I bought it uh, on Kindle on Amazon, but I actually think people should try to book, uh, try to buy the hardcover because I think It's a great book to take notes in and write little snippets in. So I think people should try to buy the hard copy book because you can really use it as a workbook. There's also a lot of meditations in there. And as you mentioned, on your website, finessaloto.com, there's a 30-day free um, meditation, which I think I should try. I'm going to sign up. Uh, Also on your website is your TEDx talk, which is really good. And I can really recommend people listening to is how to lean in without burning out. Um, anything else you would like to share to our listeners?
1: No. Well, the only other thing I'll say is if you buy the book through the links on my website, it links to all the retailers, um, there's a free resource page that has tons of guided meditations and visualizations, downloadable PDFs and videos that all go along with the book. So you get that whole resource vault if you go to Vanessa Loader, dot com forward slash book, or just click on the big word that says book. <laughs> at the top of the website. And then if you fill in that that form, you can get the whole resource vault that goes along with the book.
2: There you go. That's a really, really good tip. Go buy it, go read the book and go learn listening to our our Brit Crumbs, our Soul Whisper, all of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Pete, and for following your own energetic breadcrumbs to create this podcast. Yes. Good on you for being courageous and doing that. It's, you know, it's been a joy to
2: be here with you. Thank you so much. Looking forward to catching up next time. Okay, wonderful. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to having you again. Please, please leave a five-star review. This is so important for podcasts to grow. You can follow us on at 30 bit on Instagram and TikTok, and I'll see you next week.
1: Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to $200 in fee-free overdraft with a Chime checking account. Sign up today at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA, members FDIC. Spot me eligibility
2: requirements and overdraft limits apply.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day.